of the Market Marauder Show, beating the market one trade at a time. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. Uh, so this episode is going to be talking about a recap of Jerome Powell's Fed announcement uh, that happened this week. Uh, some very interesting information uh, came out, so just going to give a recap, uh, explain some of the things going on for some of you all who may have missed it, and then also uh, give you a clear direction of where the economy as a whole is going. Uh, so, the Fed officials indicated Wednesday uh, that they are ready to begin tapering uh, the process of slowly pulling back the stimulus they've provided during the pandemic. So, um, this is pretty huge news moving forward, uh, especially considering that a lot of people are dependent on uh, these stimulus checks and the enhanced unemployment um, and things of that nature. Uh, they said bond purchases have added more than $4 trillion to the Fed's balance sheet, uh, which now stands at $8.5 trillion. Um, and so, just going to give a quick definition of what tapering is for you all who may not know. Uh, tapering refers to the policies that modify traditional central bank activities. Tapering efforts are primarily aimed at interest rates and controlling investor perceptions of the future direction of interest rates. Tapering efforts may include changing the discount rate or reserve requirements. Tapering may also include the slowing of asset purchases, which theoretically leads to reversal of quantitative easing policies implemented by central bank. Uh, tapering is instituted uh, after quantitative easing policies have accomplished the desired effect of stimulating and stabilizing the economy. So basically just pulling uh, money out um, and slowing down the purchasing of things like bonds and other assets. Um, and then as far as quantitative easing, if you don't know what that is, uh, quantitative easing is a form of unconventional monetary policy uh, in which central banks purchase long-term securities from the open market in order to increase the money supply and encourage lending and investing. Buying these securities adds new money to the economy and also serves to lower interest rates by bidding up fixed income securities. It also expands the central bank's balance sheet. Uh, so <clears throat> that's kind of in a nutshell what quantitative easing is. And then also helps provide uh, banks with more liquidity um, in the end. So quantitative easing um, increases the money supply by purchasing assets with newly created bank reserves in order to provide banks with more liquidity so that they can loan out more money uh, to people who need it. Uh, so, you know, basically making the entire economy um, more liquid. So um, that is quantitative easing and tapering, and that is what the basis of this speech was. So I'm going to break down some of the things, uh, some of the highlights that I saw in the speech. And so uh, they talked about the recession and recovery so far. Um, they said the economic downturn has not fallen equally to all Americans, uh, and those least able to shoulder the burden have been hardest hit. In particular, uh, despite uh, progress, jobless continues to fall uh, disproportionately on lower wage workers in service sectors and on African Americans and Hispanics. So they're saying minorities have been hit the hardest uh, in far of this economic downturn, um, and then also lower wage workers. So, you know, you have... Uh, like uh, the hospitality industry, uh, like hotel workers, you have like restaurant workers, um, jobs of that nature, janitors, uh, jobs that 
the market would seem to be easily replaceable have been hit the hardest. Um, fast food workers, uh, things like that. So uh, they're basically saying, you know, they understand the economic disparity. They understand, you know, there were people who were making a lot more money who made, who may not have been suffering as much as those who um, have been. So they plan on trying to increase uh, employment uh, because now there are a lot of people who are not working. There are a lot of jobless claims out there. Um, and there are also a lot of jobs that have also downsized, uh, but then also people who are just collecting unemployment, not working. So it's kind of a double-edged sword uh, on the whole economy in the future. But their path forward is the outlook uh, for the labor markets has brightened considerably in recent months. Uh, after faltering last winter, job claims have risen steadily over the course of this year, and now an average of 832,000 over the past three months of which almost 800,000 have been in services. So back to that lower wage workers um, in the service industry um, bit from earlier. The pace of total hiring is faster uh, than at any time in the recorded data before the pandemic. The levels of job openings and quits are at record highs. So a lot of people quitting their jobs and then a lot of people having more open positions is at an all time high record. And employee, employers report that they cannot fill jobs fast enough to meet requiring demands. So <clears throat> I know in like the place that I live, uh, they have been closing the inside of a lot of the fast food restaurants um, at the Zaxby's that I usually eat lunch at. Um, it's not a shout out to Zaxby's, by the way, but at the Zaxby's that I eat at, um, I usually go inside to eat for lunch, uh, but I have to go through the drive through which just takes forever because the inside's closed. Um, I asked one of the employees at the drive-thru, you know, what's going on? Because it's been like three weeks since it's been closed. So I was like, hey, what's going on? You know, why is your inside not open? And they basically said they don't have enough people to work uh, the inside as well as the outside. So with the inside, when it was inside, they had an increased uh, amount of workers. So they had some people who were there cleaning the tables um, and then helping the people there, uh, you know, making sure it was a safe environment, you know, given the increase of the different variants uh, of the COVID that are coming out. So they were definitely doing, um, you know, the important protocols uh, to keep safety um, as a number one issue. So, you know, they were saying they don't have enough staff to come in to do that. So, um, you know, I definitely have seen the direct effects of that. And that's not the only restaurant. There have been some other ones uh, in the place that I live that have, you know, closed the inside because they're not having enough people come through, which has just increased the wait time for people going in. Um, and then also increased people using uh, things like DoorDash or Uber Eats. So definitely, uh, you know, seeing a downcrease of people going to work. So I do agree with uh, some of the things on here uh, that I've seen. It says these favorable conditions for job seekers should help the economy cover uh, the considerable remaining ground to reach maximum employment. The unemployment rate has declined to 5.4%, a post-pandemic low, but is still much too high. The report rate understates the amount of labor market slack. Long-term unemployment remains elevated and the recovery in labor force uh, participating or participation has lagged well behind the rest of the labor market as it has in the past recoveries. 
with vaccinations rising, schools reopening, and enhanced unemployment benefits ending. Uh, some factors that may have been holding back job seekers are likely fading. Uh, while the Delta variant presents a near-term risk, the prospects of good continued progress toward maximum in unemployment or maximum employment um, continue. So <clears throat> basically saying, you know, there are a lot of things that are changing. They're starting to get back to normal um, as an economy um, in general, but, you know, there's still a last push uh, to get things back to normal uh, with, you know, these jobs reopening and trying to hire people on. So next they tackled inflation. Um, so this is one of the big things that people are talking about is like inflation and how they're going to uh, combat it. Um, if you've seen like your local, for me, my local grocery store that I go to, um, I do have like a grocery budget. So my grocery budget is increased um, by about $20, I guess, per uh, trip or $20 per every two weeks, so uh, that's kind of how I budget out uh, my groceries every two weeks, so I've increased, I guess, $10 per week um, in grocery uh, capital, so I don't know if anybody else has seen uh, things becoming increasingly more expensive. Uh, we do try to, uh, my household, try to chop, shop a little cheaper uh, on groceries, um, and then try to <clears throat> go and cook in a lot more um, instead of eating out. So um, I know with things being more expensive, more people may be turning towards going to eat in, indoors or eating in their house with their family instead of going out to eat. Um, or I've also seen the opposite. And I've seen a lot of people just stop going to the grocery store in general and just putting all that money towards like DoorDash and just DoorDashing every single day. So um uh, Either or, whichever one works, the prices of everything are starting to go up, whether you're converting from, I don't want to go to the grocery store anymore because everything's expensive, I might as well just eat out every day, or if you're someone like me who uh, budgets for groceries, just seeing the price of everything start to go up and increasing your uh, food budget. So um, definitely, you know, that's one of the things that I think uh, I've seen directly with inflation, uh, but for the Fed, they're saying their path for inflation um the rapid reopening of the economy has brought a sharp run-up in inflation. Over the 12 months uh, through July, measures of headline and core personal consumption expenditures inflation have run at a 4.2% and 3.6% respectively, well above the 2% longer-run objective. Businesses and consumers, while they report upward pressure on prices and wages, inflation at these levels... Uh, is, of course, a case of concern, which basically they're saying they're concerned about inflation being high. I don't think that was the goal was for inflation to be as high as it was, but, you know, that has happened. Uh, the dynamics of inflation are complex, uh, and we assess the inflation outlook uh, from a number of different perspectives, as will now be discussed. So they're talking about they have five different sections uh, on how inflation uh, is hurting the market. Um, and how, you know, they plan on uh, mitigating it. So the first one, they're talking about the absence uh, so far of broad-based inflation pressures. Then here they talk about uh, durable goods alone contribute to about 1% uh, point to the latest 12% measure of headline and core inflation. Energy prices, which rebounded with strong recovery, added to another 
0.8% point uh, to headline inflation. And from long experience, we expect the inflation effects of these increases to be uh, transitionary. In addition, prices, uh, for example, for hotel rooms, airplane tickets declined sharply during the recession and have moved back up the pre-pandemic levels. The 12-month window uh, we used in computing inflation now captures the rebound in prices, but the initial decline temporarily elevating reported uh, inflation. So they're saying, you know, travel and stuff like that um, is incre is increased uh, back to, you know, pre-pandemic. So people are going out, uh, people are going, you know, to different hotels, they're traveling, they're going on vacation, um, you know, despite what was going on because there are no more lockdowns uh, here in the States. Um, and then they're saying energy prices uh, were high um, and then also durable goods uh, were high as well. So they're basically, you know, outlining the effects or what caused uh, these inflations to go up. Uh, so secondly, the second point they talked about uh, is moderating inflation and higher uh, inflation items. So this says uh, used car prices, for example, appear to have stabilized. Indeed, some price indicators are beginning to fall. Uh, if that continues, as many analysts predict, then used car prices will soon be pulling uh, measuring inflation down, as they did for much of the past decade. The same dynamic of upward inflation pressure uh, dissipating and, in some cases, reversing seems like to play out in durable more generally. Uh, over the 25 years preceding the pandemic, durable uh, prices actually declined, um, with inflation averaging negative 1.9% uh, per year. As supply problems have began to resolve, inflation in durable goods other than auto has now slowed and may be starting to fall. So they're saying, you know, um, durable goods are starting to go down as well as the auto industry. So um, there is a downward trend on some of the uh, prices of cars. Um, but I think with the chip shortage uh, going on, I think that's going to be a longer uh, path to slow down than going on here. So the chip shortage is still something that um, is affecting the auto industry. Uh, there are not enough chips out there to make the newer models of cars. So if you slow down production of the newer models of cars, that means that the prices of the older models of cars are going to go up because that's all you really have to sell. Um, and as far as, you know, the car industry, I've seen a couple of um, car dealerships that just have a few cars and not really, you know, a bunch of inventory. So I don't really know if people are buying new cars like that, but I've also seen them switch over to have a lot more used cars on their lot than just new cars. But both prices, uh, in my personal opinion, are expensive, the new and the used ones. Uh, so third on here, they're talking about wages. So as we can also assess whether wages increase are consistent with 2% inflation over time. Wage increases are essential to support a rising standard of living and are generally, of course, a welcome development. Uh, but if wage increases were to move materially uh, and persistently above the levels of productivity gains and inflation, uh, businesses would likely pass those increases to customers and process a process that could become a short uh, or a sort of wage price spiral seen as time in the past. So basically they're saying if you give people more money uh, that work for you, then the only way to balance that or to counteract that is to increase the prices of the items that are 
there, which are going to affect the customer. So you can give people more money, um, which is what they want to work, but then you're going to charge more for the goods and services or that are there um, at that business, which is going to hurt the overall economy, which is the customer. So, um, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword with that one as well. Uh, just basically explaining, you know, you can do both, but there's going to be a negative either way. Either you're going to have people who are making less money um, and just working or and uh, affordable prices for the customer, or the customer is going to have to pay more money to pay for the increase of pay for the people who are working. So, you know, I think that's something people also overlook as far as businesses are concerned, that businesses do have balance sheets. Um, you know, sometimes it's not feasible to be able to, uh, just give employees, you know, raises, uh, that's why I kind of think, you know, some of the people who are politicking for like everyone making like $20 an hour, I really think should look at the whole overall picture of some of the balance sheets of some of these companies. Some companies it's not feasible. Um, you know, maybe for like big corporations, it may be feasible to give you, uh, or give their employees a lot more money. Um, but I think for like some of the smaller companies, if you're imposing uh, a standard minimum wage, it's not just going to affect um, the larger companies, it's going to affect the smaller companies as well. So uh, that's something that I think people should look at, uh, because the smaller companies, you know, if they're forced to do this uh, large minimum wage, it may bankrupt the company in general. Uh, so fourth, they talked about long-term inflation expectation, uh, policymakers and analysts uh, generally believe that as a long-term inflation expectation remains anchored, policy can and should look through temporary swings in inflation. Our monetary policy framework uh, emphasizes that anchoring long-term expectations uh, at 2% is important for both maximum employment and price stability. So they're basically trying to keep it at 2% um, for the overall inflation. So Long-term inflation expectations have moved much less uh, than actual inflation or near-term expectations, uh, suggested that households, businesses, and market participants also believe that current high inflation uh, readings are likely to prove transitionary uh, and that, in any case, the Fed will keep inflation close to our 2% objective over time. So, before this kind of really started, they did say 2% was kind of the place they wanted to keep inflation numbers to. Um, I think if it goes above 2%, then I think uh, there's going to be you know kind of a problem. But um, as they keep it closer to 2%, um, that's kind of where the uh, tapering and all other stuff comes into place. Um, and so, you know, as the economy is in whole, there are different uh, ways. The economy is in general is, is just one giant business. So um, the Fed kind of being the person who manages that business of being the whole economy. So uh, that's why I think it's imperative to, you know, try to understand some of the things that are going on and some of the terms uh, that the Fed uses uh, for like quantitative easing and tapering. Um, those are things you can use um, to help, you know, your strategy as far as trading is concerned, um, whether you're a long-term or short-term investor, whether you're doing stocks or crypto. Um, these policies and these meetings that the Fed has definitely um, help to shape the entire economy. So lastly, I talked about um, the prevalence of global deflationary forces over the past quarter century. Uh, so this is the fifth point um, on this subject of the path ahead for maximum employment. 
so on here, they just basically talked about, uh, says to sum up, the baseline outlook uh, is to continue progress towards maximum employment with inflation returning to levels consistent with our goal of inflation averaging 2% over time. Um, and so that's the whole goal of this, uh, talking about global inflation. Uh, it says, finally, it is worth noting that since the 1990s, uh, since the 1990s, inflation in many advanced economies has run somewhat below 2%, uh, even in good times. Uh, the pattern of low inflation likely reflects sustained deflationary forces, including technology, globalization, and perhaps demogra demographic factors. And it says, as we, as a stronger, more successful, committed by the central bank uh, to maintain uh, price stability. So, uh, the United States unemployment ran below 4%. Uh, for about two years before the pandemic, uh, while inflation ran at a 2% or ran at or below 2%. Uh, wages did move up across the income spectrum, uh, a welcome development, uh, but did not uh, enough to lift the price of inflation consistently by 2%. Uh, while the underlying global uh, deflationary factors are likely to uh, evolve over time, there is little reason to think that they have suddenly reversed or abased so basically saying um that even in good times it was below two percent so they're saying they want to keep it below two percent even now um especially with you know the whole market uh you know keeping that below two percent so that's basically the sum up of that uh but a lot of different interesting things uh that came um out of this meeting so uh I guess for my synopsis, what I think moving forward, I think they're going to keep uh, interest rates low uh, or as much as they can. Uh, they may potentially start to go back up, uh, but then um, trying to solve the problems that are going on in the economy, which are uh, people not working and then people who um, are working. I feel like those people are being overworked as well, um, who are working while others are staying at home. Um, also with wages, uh, people want to be paid more money. That's a problem that has been ongoing forever. Um, I know a lot of the big corporations do pay, um, a large amount. I know Amazon being one of those ones that is always in the news for about how much they pay their employees. But, um, you know, there, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to, uh, the wage, uh, problem. So, you know, I think the conversation should just be had. Um, and just showing both sides. I think there should be more uh, business owners having the conversation with the people who um, are asking for the raises and basically explaining, you know, this is how uh, the budgeting aspect works. You know, if you don't have money to pay them, then, you know, maybe if you have an increased production or if the sales increase or I don't know. I feel like more transparency um, in that area could help, uh, but I think that it's easier to help in small businesses than in large businesses. When it comes to large corporations, um, you know, they're people who, you know, their whole career is to help uh, balance sheet, um, you know, the CFOs of those companies um, kind of know the path forward financially of that company. So, um you know, the CFOs may be someone, if you're in a large corporation, that you could contact, or if you can contact HR, either or, somebody um, would know the answer uh, to that question. Um, and then also, you know, I see a lot of people as well um, transferring positions, moving to different companies. Uh, overall, I think it's a very interesting economy in general, um, but 
you know, for majority of these, they're always like um, double-edged sword, I would say, situations. So there's not really a total positive outcome for both sides when it comes to uh, financial policies, when it comes to wages, inflation, uh, because there's always going to be someone who is on the losing end of this, whether it's the customer losing because you're paying higher wages to the uh, employees, or whether it's uh, the companies losing because the government is starting to give you know people more money to stay at home than they are working, or whether it is you know the inflation of people uh, having to spend more on goods and services because uh, the employers decide to pay their employees more to stay instead of to go home um, and take employment or to quit. Uh, or they don't have those positions, uh, or they don't have people to fill those positions. So definitely uh, very interesting moving forward. And I think, you know, one of the ways that, you know, may help mitigate this is potentially automation. So, uh, you know, automation, uh, as far as factories are concerned, more automation will definitely uh, help to solve this because, you know, machines are easier to replace than people. Um, and it takes, you know, only a few people to replace those machines. Uh, so you may see a downturn in warehouse workers. Um, and then, you know, if people are saying, I don't want to go, you know, work that job, the companies themselves still have to go and deliver those products. So there may be just an increase of automation to replace those. And then you turn around and it may not, position may not exist anymore. Um, so I think, you know, the automation industry is definitely needed. Um, and I think the automation industry will continue to grow and fill in some of these gaps. Now, some of the um, automation industry has not caught up to it. So I don't think there's going to be um, anytime soon a fully automated restaurant where like you go and just put your order on a screen and then it fulfills the order for you. Yeah, I've seen some of those before. I know they exist. But as far as mainstream moving forward i don't think those existed uh those exist yet so i mean if you have an idea for that this may be the time for you uh it'll be a great business model you know even with you know the decline in shopping malls people not really going to malls anymore you could still have those stores you just go touch a screen and then once you touch that screen uh your order comes out for you through like a little door or something or a machine's back there packages it up and gives it to you you're still physically in the mall but you know, you just go through uh, the thing and or you have just one person packing the order. So, you know, there's a robot that goes and scans the store for you. You can shop the store digitally. And then when you go, your order is already there. If you're going to buy something. So um, there are ways I feel like you can do it, um, which will also help with the health crisis. You know, you're not packed into a, a mall and you can just go get what you want and then come uh, back so definitely very interesting as far as if you're in the technology field um, you have any of those cool ideas um, definitely I feel like there's a niche out there for you um, if you know how to code if you know how to build apps um, if you know how to do business models um, there's definitely the door is wide open for you um, if you're creative you know if you know how to draw things build up concepts you know I feel like the door is open for you as well, uh, as far as that's concerned. But definitely a very interesting economy uh, that we're moving in uh, here forward into the coming years. Uh, so good luck to everybody out there trading. Uh, hope you all have a great week. And I'll see you guys next time. Peace.